Welcome back to episode 127 of the Draft FC podcast. Welcome back to the Draft FC podcast, the podcast and website dedicated to all things official Draft FPL. My name is Mitch and I'm your host and in this episode we begin our road to draft day prep with one of our newly promoted team lowdowns starting with the uh, reigning championship champions Burnley. This will be the first in a series of three podcasts covering the newly promoted team starting with Burnley. Next one will be on Sheffield United and then rounding things off with Luton Town. The format of these episodes will all be roughly the same starting off with a bit of a season recap a look at their tactics and then honing in on their personnel and then rounding off by working out what that means for us on draft day. So Burnley obviously finished top of the championship, which means they are straight back up. But are they the Burnley we knew and hated under Dyche? Are they destined for the bottom three again next year? And most importantly, are there going to be any exciting new draft FPL options for us to think about? Let's find out. So Burnley finished their campaign last season with an impressive 101 points in the league, 29 wins, 14 draws and 3 losses. They scored more goals than any other team with 87 and conceded the fewest goals of any team with just 35. So a very impressive season. As I'm sure you already know, the man in charge now is Vincent Company, who will be a familiar face leading Burnley back into the Premier League. Company has brought with him a new style of play which the players have taken on board extremely well and is largely what has led to the success they had last year. Due to the Man City connection with Company, many are comparing their style of play to Manchester City, but that is probably lazy at best. The new style has definitely been possession-based, so there the comparisons are fair, with measured build-up play and a focus on manoeuvring the opposition with short interchanges. A clear formation is hard to pin down and is quite fluid, but would rest somewhere between a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. In terms of attacking setup in possession, it reminds me more of Liverpool at their best, with three attackers flanked by two high wing-backs. This almost splits the outfielders into a 5-5, with the two centre-backs and three centre-mids retaining most of the possession and recycling the ball until openings can be taken advantage of. Just watch some of their goals through and you'll see that they've also not been afraid to go route one with some success coming from quarterback style passes from the centre-backs. Out of possession they employ probably what you call a mid-block which almost looks like a 4-4-2. The two wide attackers tend to stay high with the number nine coming deeper to sit on the opposition central defensive midfielder. They don't press particularly high and tend to wait for the ball to get near their halfway line before springing traps. This then tends to suit their more measured build-up play. Hopefully that paints a half-decent picture for the Burnley way last season, but let's talk about the all-important players making this system work. The first thing I'll say is that while there are some definite starters, overall, the likely first eleven is really yet to be decided. As it stands, the nailed players, I would say, are Connor Roberts at right back. In fact, before I say Connor Roberts at right back, I did have Muric in as the, uh, the nailed-on goalkeeper, but that was before... They went and spent somewhere between 15 and 20 million on the young English goalkeeper Trafford. Um, Muric came from City last year um, permanently for a small fee. And I, I put in my notes previously when I made them, unless somebody else is brought in, he will be the number one. I'm pretty certain the amount, the outlay they've put on Trafford will mean that um, it's going to be difficult for him not to be given a shout at number one. 
but we'll see whether or not Muric gets the number one shirt for the opening game week. Anyway, moving on, the actual nailed, nailed players. Um, right back, Connor Roberts, um, not a new name for us. He has been appearing at right back, even back under Dyche in the Premier League. Got four goals and three assists last year, which means he could be uh, an option at times, but probably not over um, Matson on the other flank, who I will mention in a moment. Centre-back, um, Jordan Bayer. Um, around the time I was prepping this uh, episode back a few weeks ago, the news broke that Burnley took up an option to make him permanent signing and I'd expect him to be a season starter for them. This news seems to sit very well with Burnley fans. Will be a rotational draft consideration depending on fixtures. In central midfield, Cullen was the main man last year, Irish international and has been the beating heart of that midfield, voted the players player of the season and fans player of the season. All well and good, but almost certainly will not be getting anywhere near our draft teams next year. Another central midfielder and another familiar name is Josh Brownhill. 78 Premier League appearances for Burnley between 2019 and 2022. In that time, just two goals and four assists. Um, obviously usually deployed as more of a disciplined sitting midfielder under Dyche. I would urge you to check out some season highlights for Burnley if you think you know what Brownhill is about. He was their top provider last year with eight assists and also chipped in with a very handy seven league goals. A lot of this outfit, it has to be said, came early in the season and the numbers tail off a bit in the later months. To be fair, this coincided with a slight change of position, often lining up next to Cullen in more of a conventional double pivot compared to early in the season when he was more a number 10. So if it continues in that vein, maybe um, one that slides down your draft rankings. But if you just look at it at face value, seven goals and eight assists, yeah, you could be tempted to overhype him. And then on the right wing is Benson, an absolute standout when you watch the tape back from Burnley's impressive attacking moments. Left footer coming off the right side, 12 goals and three assists in the championship. Best ever figures. And he's been about a bit with stints at Genk in Antwerp over the years. He's now 26, so they fished him out of obscurity, seemingly, entering the prime of his career, and we'll have to see how he fares against Premier League defences next year. That is one thing that stood out. When he was curling them in Iron Robin style, there were a few that demonstrated severely um, lacking defensive skills, shall we say, in 1v1 positions, which he may not be able to take advantage of as much this year. If he gets half these numbers, though, he's done very well. Probably one to watch and wait on for me to see how well he adapts. The rest is quite difficult to predict and depends a lot on the business that Burnley can do in the off-season. This segues to one of the biggest issues they face, which is, or which was, their reliance on loanee players last year. So one I mentioned already is Matson. Their first choice left-back was on loan from Chelsea. Their two first choice centre-backs were Bayer and Harwood Bellis. Um, Bayer obviously is now signed, so that's okay. Harwood Bellis is uh, a loanee from Manchester City. And, and then Nathan Teller, their top scorer, who I'll come on to, um, obviously on loan from Southampton. And up top, they were relying on the familiar names of Jay Rodriguez and Ashley Barnes. However, Barnes' time at Turf Moor is now over um, as he looks for a new club. So a big question mark remains for their number nine spot. Anyway, let's take a look at some of those names individually. So Ian Matson is a 21-year-old Dutch left-back who played 39 games for them last year, scoring four and assisting six. So very impressive attacking output there from the left back. Impressive and testament to their setup I described earlier. Many Burnley fans 
will be keen to make the move permanent or at least extend the loan for another season. From a Chelsea perspective, it would seem a no-brainer to allow him that extra time to develop under a good coach and give him free Premier League experience, which he wouldn't get in a Chelsea shirt, potentially. Either way, I think it's highly likely we do see him in Claret and Blue next year, and he's definitely someone that could be hitting our draft teams. Taylor Harwood-Bellis, uh, as I said, centre-back, 21-year-old uh, English defender through the Man City Academy. He's had a few loans already and company rated him enough to take him with him to Anderlecht um, the year before and then requested his service again when he moved to Burnley. He played 32 times for them last year, which is quite a lot when you consider there were four or five centre-backs being rotated at varying points in the season and he had a two-month layoff through injuries. And so without that, you could have expected his appearances to have been closer to 40. He's another one that doesn't seem to get massive noise from Manchester City fans, and it would make sense that the move is made permanent this summer, but as it stands, there isn't a lot in the way of gossip. And then finally, the biggest name on the list is Nathan Teller, a name we're all familiar with. He's made 33 Premier League appearances for Southampton. Prior to joining Burnley, he had 16 senior goals in all competitions, and this season, or last season even, he scored 19 and assisted another five, making him the team's top goal scorer. Now, he's lined up in various attacking positions last year, off the left, off the right, and number 10, and goals have come from all angles. A lot of the early season goals instantly conjured memories of my childhood hero, Jermaine Defoe, with poacher's instincts on display, but there are also um, some made goals in there too. Where he ends up is less clear given Southampton's relegation, Will Southampton take an offer as they look to rebuild or will they value his championship goal scoring experience and not to keep him for an attempt at bouncing straight back up? If he is a Burnley player next season, expect him to appear on your draft boards in the later rounds. We are now getting thick into the summer and this saga does look set to drag on a while longer with a valuation or asking price of around 15 million being quoted, which I think Burnley fans would be very happy to pay. So that's the nailed starters and the key low knees, but that still leaves around three starting spots up for grabs. Let's start up top. Jay Rodriguez would remain the most senior striker in the squad and bring the most Premier League experience. He's made 237 appearances in the Premier League with 44 goals. He is now 33 and there is no way they can rely on him to bag enough to keep them up. He did score 10 last season, averaging a goal every couple of games. So not bad at all. Um, also took their penalties when on the pitch but yeah I think this is still an area they're going to have to upgrade on other options in the squad there's Michael Obafemi who has a track record in the championship with Swansea but didn't see much game time last season uh, and Lyle Foster who again got a handful of appearances and is largely untested so a new nine will definitely be in order I wonder if any of the departing Premier League strikers particularly any of the Leicester guys could tickle their fancy um, but it doesn't seem to be the way their business goes, often poaching some more obscure names from mainland Europe. Elsewhere, the only other key name to highlight is Anas um, Zorori. haven't necessarily included him in the nailed list because I feel that there could be, you know, that could be a position they're looking to upgrade this summer. So it will depend on business. He was their predominant option off the left-hand side. Another hidden gem mined from the Belgian Pro League. He's still only 22 years old, so a good prospect. While most of his Burnley teammates were at home with the telly on, Zorori was in Qatar as part of the Morocco squad that only made one appearance in the third place playoff game. Anyway, last season, six games and six assists, half pretty good. Um, he will, I think, likely be a bench feature, but if it looks like from the preseason friendlies he's going to be a starter, he would probably creep onto my draft board. 
And then having prepped the pod in its entirety, Burnley then announced their first signing of the summer, and that's Dara O'Shea, 24-year-old centre-back from West Brom. 7 million signing, who it sounds like West Brom were pretty sad to let go. Definitely one who will be competing for a starting spot, whether he has one from the off will depend on the other business they're able to do before the summer is over. Uh, and I also wonder whether this impacts their desire to re-sign Harwood Bellis. Part of my prep for this run of podcasts, looking at the, the newly promoted teams, I wanted to have a look back and try and work out what we can or what we should expect from players from newly promoted clubs. So I wanted to kind of work out what is the ceiling, essentially, when we're gambling on some of these players. So if we look at last year, for example, the teams that came up, Fulham, Bournemouth and Forest, the highest point score among them was Gibbs White, 134 points. Otherwise, there were a handful in the 120s, Leno, Solanke, uh, Andreas Pereira and Billing. The year before, uh, the standout was Timu Puki with 142 points. That was the third forward overall. The year before that, Bamford was the standout for Leeds with 194 points, putting him up there among the strikers. Before that was the big season for Sheffield United, where Henderson got 160 points, which was the second most amongst the keepers that year. And then they also had six defenders that all managed to score more than 110 points. So very reliable um, points to be found there. I'm not going to bore you by going through all of the all of the numbers that I've sketched out here. But essentially, Wolves coming up in 2018, Sheffield coming up in 2019, and Leeds coming up in 2020 seem to be the main outliers here in terms of producing players that can really stack high on the final points tally. There's no obvious correlation between the clubs that won the championship the year before and those who came up as runners-up or playoff winners. But what those outliers do have in common is, in my opinion, they came up with a clear identity and didn't compromise on those principles when they encountered Premier League opponents. The other standout from this uh, exercise and looking back over the last um, six, seven years is that next to no midfielders, tend to make a mark on the FPL landscape from these newly promoted clubs. A big striker haul seems to be the best bet, followed by a workhorse goalkeeper and then a scattering of defenders, with the likes of Matt Doherty when he broke through for Wolves um, and then that big year for the Sheffield um, United defence in general. So if we apply those lessons to what I just said about Burnley, they definitely tick the box or expect they will definitely tick the box in terms of coming up with a clear identity and not compromising on those principles in the Premier League. The only trouble there is, as it stands, not 100% clear who the starting goalkeeper is, not 100% clear who their main number nine is going to be, and, and also absolutely not clear who their defenders will be. My general um, positions for Burnley players in my current um, draft rankings are conservative, but I think as the summer goes on, as some transfers come in, um, as we get a few more pre-season glimpses, um, there are a few players that could definitely slide higher up the list. So let's have a look at early fixtures, um, some implications for draft day, and then um, close out. So the first six games, or at least the first six games which were supposed to be, were City at home on the opening day. Game week two was meant to be away to Luton. That has now been cancelled due to issues with um, works going on uh, at Luton's home ground. So that will be rearranged for later in the season. That was probably their best fixture from the opening six. So it now makes their opening five um, from the opening six weeks very tricky indeed. So as I said, City at home on the opening day. Then in game week three, they're at home to Villa. 
then at home to Spurs. So they kick off with three home games, though very difficult ones. Then go away to Forest, which isn't an easy game, and then welcome Man United for their fourth home game. So a home game under lights for company to welcome uh, City to Turf Moor is an excellent season opener for the neutral and for them. Burnley will be bang up for it and it gives them an opportunity to make a real statement against the current, has to be said, best club team in the world. Following this, there really is only one half-decent opportunity for them to target um, and I think that's that away game to Forest. but Forrest are very good at home. The only other one I think they um, could have some luck against is Aston Villa who should sit off them um, and actually allow them some time to play. The opening game against City means we won't be signed with probably any of them in our 11s for game week one. Burnley defenders could have crept in the waiver list ahead of game week two, but they're now not going to. So for draft day, I think the only names really that will appear on draft boards will be um, the obvious starting keeper once that's clear. I would expect Nathan Teller would, um, you know, could be a decent third forward option if he signed permanently. I don't doubt that Josh Brownhill will sneak into some people's draft boards, having, um, as I mentioned earlier, just glanced at his output from from last year. But I think I've seen enough of the latter half of the season to steer clear of him. And because of the way those opening fixtures are generally now structured, um, what it does do is it allows us some time to actually see, sit back and see who their starting eleven is likely to be. Overall, I don't fear for Burnley's safety next year, but ideas that they'll finish in the top half, I also think, are wide of the mark. I'm not convinced they're strong enough in central midfield at the moment, and it will also remain to be seen which of their successful loan signings return again, um, and just who else, more importantly, they're able to add in the goal-scoring department. So that's it for this episode. That is my rundown for you on all things Burnley as we plan ahead for Draft Day 2023. If you're new and enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe because following this will be a couple more pods on the newly promoted teams as well as a whole host of other podcasts to get you match fit ready for Draft Day 2023. For those uh, who are more seasoned, those who have listened before, if you haven't already, head over to draftfc.co.uk and check out what we've got to offer on there. For those of you that don't want to make a commitment signing up, what we have now offered this summer is a pre-season pack, which is just a one-off of $15.99, which gets you access to all of the uh, the draft dashboard, which will be including our rankings uh, and the average draft positions, which are coming from the thousands and thousands of leagues which are um, being drafted every single day. So as the summer goes on, there will be more data added to that and the rankings will become more and more accurate. Give us a follow on Twitter at draft underscore FC. Um, Follow to keep up to date on what's going on and also use that to send us a message should you need to. Hope all your pre-season planning is coming along nicely and until next time, stay shook.